So if you would, take your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, chapter 3, as we continue in this short series through the book of Nehemiah for some direction, for some encouragement, even some motivation in what God has in store for us as a church. Pastor Aaron mentioned just a moment ago, asking you to continue to be in prayer for the uh, design team process, that presentation that will come before the church hopefully in the next month or so and we are praying as a team and I know that they are praying for the will of God to be done in our church and certainly are eager to share that information with you but in the meantime we want you to be praying for the future the direction how God wants to use us and use our facility and different ministries that will come to be a blessing to him. Well, that's sort of why in Nehemiah chapter 3, we're in this particular chapter and not skipping over it. Because you might read Nehemiah chapter 3, and it might read to you like a genealogy in the Bible. It's a bunch of lists of of names, it's a list of people, what they did, there's really not much, I guess, uh, exciting about Nehemiah chapter 3, and so you might say, well, why are we looking at Nehemiah chapter 3. Well, it sort of reminds me a little bit of being a kid. I used to watch Bugs Bunny cartoons all the time. He was my favorite. I used to have, when I was about my son's age, uh, both of my son's ages, I used to have some Bugs Bunny ties that I would wear to church, you know, because if you're going to dress up and wear a tie, it might as well have Bugs Bunny on it. And I would memorize these. I mean, I I can just think of hundreds and thousands of Bugs Bunny episodes of all of the things that he got himself into, that wascally wabbit, you know, all of those situations that he would find himself in. But one of my favorite episodes reminds me of Nehemiah chapter 3. And that is whenever Bugs Bunny decides to take on the local meanies, that are amazing at baseball. And Bugs Bunny decides that not only will he play baseball against the gas house gorillas, but that he would be the entire baseball team. So when it comes time to announce who is on the field for Bugs Bunny's team, it's right field Bugs Bunny, left field Bugs Bunny, center field Bugs Bunny, pitching Bugs Bunny, catcher Bugs Bunny. I mean, he's all over the field he is the only player on his team and of course as you know because Bugs Bunny is just that awesome he defeats the gas house gorillas by climbing to the top of what's most likely the Empire State Building to catch the final out and to and to beat this huge massive group of people as ridiculous as that is we could never even begin to think as amazing as Kentucky is at basketball, that just one player for, the, for, for UK could defeat any and all teams all by himself with one hand tied behind his back. I know Kentucky has had some amazing players. It'd be a lot of fun to see if they could. But there's a reason why on a team there's more than just one person. That's the reason why you have coaches. It's the reason why you have trainers. It's the reason why you have managers. It's the reason why you have office personnel. It's the reason why you have different positions on the court, on the field, 
whether it's football, basketball, baseball, all of those team sports are a team. Why? Because, as Nehemiah chapter 3 reminds us, we all have a part to play. There's a role for every single person in the body of Christ to do something to bring glory and honor to God. You may not be the one preaching. You may not be the one singing. You may not be the one working the audiovisual stuff. You may not be the one printing the bulletins or, or counting the tithes and offerings and presenting certain things to the church. You may be somebody that's so behind the scenes that just you and God and maybe one other person know what you're doing. But every single one of us has a role to play. And the church is only at its best for the glory of God when every one of us does what God calls us to do. It may seem small and insignificant to you, but in the grand scheme of the glory of God and for the benefit of the kingdom of God, if you don't do what God has called you to do, then the church and the kingdom of God is not all that God intends it to be, because God is the one who's not only called you into His family, but He's also given you a responsibility. Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem because the city was in ruins, the walls around the city had been destroyed, and the city was vulnerable to another attack. And, and, and he got all of these resources from the Babylonian king, King Artaxerxes, to go back into the land and to begin rebuilding the wall. And in Nehemiah chapter 3, he tells us who did what, why, and where. In Nehemiah 3, beginning in verse 1, we see a long list of names that tells us what is your role. You see, in the first couple of verses in Nehemiah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, all the way down through verse 12, what we see in this section of this chapter in Nehemiah is that we see that it takes all types of people. I mean, if you were to just for a moment just look around this room and see the different kinds of people that make up the body of Christ, you would understand we're not all the same. We don't all have the same gifts. We don't have the same calling. We don't even have the same backstory as to why we got to where we are today. But as the body of Christ, we all have the same calling on our life, and that is to bring glory and honor to God. But it does take all types of people. Notice in verse 1, the Bible says, Then Elishib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors, and they consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Henanel. Now, this may not mean a lot to you in terms of dimensions of how far these priests worked. But these are the guys who are responsible for the spiritual leadership of Israel. They're responsible to offer sacrifices. They're responsible to teach the Word of God. They're responsible to spiritually minister. Some of these guys have not gotten their hands dirty since they were six years old playing behind the house. Some of these guys are so pristine white and so clean, not only spiritually but physically, 
Nobody would have expected that Nehemiah mentions them first. In other words, the spiritual leaders of Israel, when it came time to do the work and to see Israel built up and to see the walls around Jerusalem rebuilt, the spiritual leaders of this group of people were the first to roll up their sleeves and say, we will build our gate. They built the sheep gate. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's the gate in which all of the sheep would come into the city to go straight into the temple to be offered as a sacrifice for the people. This particular gate was important for the spiritual health of the people of God. If there is no means by which the sheep can come into the city, if there's no designated place for the sacrifices to come in, then the sacrifices are not offered for the people of God. And so the priests are the first to roll up their sleeves and say, if there's any gate that needs to be rebuilt, we will rebuild the sheep gate because we are the spiritual leaders of the people of God. Friend, it takes all kinds of people to do the work that God wants to be done. These spiritual leaders didn't say, hey, listen, y'all do the work, we'll pray for you. Y'all do what you're supposed to do. We're going to sit in our house. We're going to watch you. We're going to critique you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to critique you. We're, we're going to support you. We'll bring you sandwiches. We're going to critique you. They didn't just sit back and watch and make fun. These guys, Nehemiah mentions them first because it takes all kinds. Even as a spiritual leader in this church, some of you as teachers and deacons and uh, prayer warriors for our church, and some of you that have led ministries over the years, you need to be the first ones to say, if there is work to be done, if there is money to be given, if there is some cleanup that needs to happen, if there is, is some ministry that needs a lead, you can count on me. So oftentimes in church, a committee that may be looking for people to volunteer, looking for people to lead certain ministries, they get these answers of, well, if you can't find anybody else, I'll do it. That's the least favorite answer other than I'll pray about it. Now, there's nothing wrong with a committee person saying I'll, I'll pray about it. There's nothing wrong with that, but usually that's a put-off to say, I don't really want to do it, so I'll make God convince me that I'll have to do it. See, the way we operate and the way we are as a church, being the people of God with the Spirit of God in our church and in us individually and with a calling on our hearts, we ought to be prayed up and ready and say, God, I am willing to show me the where. We ought not to put somebody off and say, well, if you can't find somebody else, I'll do it. These priests were the first ones to say, we will be glad to roll up our sleeve. We need spiritual leaders. We also need humble people. Look down in verse 5. Verse 5 says, And next to them, as he continues to go down the wall, he says, And next to them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Now here we have a group of people in Jerusalem that are willing to work, but these nobles, these fancy people, these smarter than you people, these 
leadership type people, the Bible says they would not stoop, they would not go down, they would not humble themselves to do the work along with their brothers, these fellow kinsmen of theirs. Now, I'm not going to ask you to point fingers and name names, but certainly in a church and within the body of Christ, we've known people that perhaps were unwilling to do the work, perhaps unwilling to get involved. Sometimes they say, well, nobody asked me. Sometimes they say, well, that's not my gift. Sometimes they say, well, you know, I'm, I'm better serving in another place. But you see here, Nehemiah points these people out not because they were looking for a different job, they were looking for no job at all. Friend, in order for our church to bring glory and honor to God the way that God is worthy of, it takes every single one of us looking for a way to be involved in the work of ministry. Yes, every job that needs to be done may not be suited for you. But which one is? If that's not exactly how God has wired you together, and if that's not exactly the the type of role that you should have in the church, then pray through it and ask God to show you, God, how can I bring glory and honor to you? What way can I serve? And, And how can I use the gifts that you've given me? Don't look for an excuse not to. And I love as this passage goes on, it shows the willingness of the people. If you notice in verse 8, it says next to them, Uziel, the son of Herariah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to them, one of the perfumers repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Listen, these people may not have known how to build a wall. They're better at building jewelry and, and, and bottles of perfume. But you know what? They learned how. Friend, if you are willing to be taught a new skill inside the body of Christ, if you are willing to say, look, I don't know how to do it, but I'll learn how to do it. I've never done that before, but I'm willing to learn. Can you imagine how much could be done for the glory of God if all of us would put our ego aside, our past aside, and just say, listen, I'm willing to do whatever. Just show me the what, show me the where, and teach me the how. I love these two verses. Verse 9, it says that next to them, Raphaiah, the son of her ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. And then look down in verse 12. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Helowesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. He and his daughter. You have two men that both rule over half of Jerusalem and both of them are working to repair the city of Jerusalem. Listen, when you see people that are in a leadership position on their hands and knees and working and getting their hands dirty and being willing to just do whatever it takes, and all of a sudden, even if you think you're a nobody, it makes you feel like a somebody because you can do something too. Sometimes we use excuses. Sometimes we put our ego in front of our willingness. Sometimes we are too good for a certain job. Sometimes we make ourselves unavailable because we're just 
busy. Friend, listen, I've never met a person who day after day, hour after hour, is just bored. All the time. Never has anything to do, just constantly bored. Never. Well, I've met some teenagers. I shouldn't say I've never met anybody. But we are as busy as we want to be. We do as much as we want to do. We are as involved in something as it matters to us. Do you think the protection of the city of Jerusalem mattered to the two guys who were rulers over their half of the district of Jerusalem? Do you think they had something invested in the city and not wanting to see it crumble again? These guys, the spiritual leaders, the perfumers, the goldsmith, all of these people and the daughters of these men are like, just show us where we're here to work. Why wouldn't that translate into the body of Christ in the year 2020 in a church like Columbia Baptist Church? Why would we have even one person that would think they are too good to do something to advance the kingdom of God? Why would we have one person looking to get out of something that God is calling us to get into? Why would we ever have any attitude of That's not for me when it's all for the glory of God. Growing up in Louisiana and being a graduate of LSU, which I'm not proud of, I was inundated and up to my eyeballs in LSU football, not because I wanted to be, but because I had to be. There was a family, last name Kenshin, who played for LSU. Two brothers did, their dad did, one of the brothers, his two sons, played for LSU. It, it, it was a thing. Well, Brian Kenshin played for LSU many years ago and was drafted in 1988 in the 12th round. Those of you keeping score, that's not good. But he wasn't an all-star. He wasn't a, uh, an all-pro. He was a pedestrian kind of player. He played for four different teams. Over the span of 13 seasons, he played as a tight end. He caught barely enough passes to to matter. He caught 160 passes for uh, several hundred yards and about 13 or so touchdowns in his entire 13-year career. He retired in the year 2000. In 2003, he was teaching Bible at the school where I went to as an elementary and middle school kid where my dad was the elementary principal, Parkview Baptist School. At this particular school in 2003 in December, as Brian was teaching a 7th grade middle school Bible class, he got the call of a lifetime. See, that year in December, the New England Patriots were on their way to the Super Bowl. And their long snapper got hurt. Now again, for those of you that don't know about football, this is the person that hikes the ball when somebody kicks a field goal. Or somebody's punting the ball. Theirs got hurt and they needed one, and they knew that Brian, in his 13-year career, actually was part-time long snapper. They called this guy, who had been out of professional football all this time, hadn't played in years, to see if he would be willing. 
Brian got, never got credit, really, for any starts that postseason. He played in two games, and one of the games happened to be in the Super Bowl. He's standing on the sideline in January of 2004 with his clean uniform on, with his helmet in his hand, and his knees just a knocking. Because with 29 seconds left, Tom Brady got the New England Patriots down with just about five or so seconds left on the clock to the 23-yard line. The coach called in, the field goal team. Brian put on his helmet and snapped it. And he stood and, and squatted down over that ball with five seconds left on the clock with the score tied 29-29, knowing that the entire Super Bowl and the season was in his hands. The whistle blew, the clock began, he snapped that ball, he got it back to the holder, and Adam Vinatieri kicked the ball through the upright, and the New England Patriots won, and none of you care. But they won the Super Bowl that year. Brian Kinchin said, I could not accomplish what I had to do without God. It was like He was stripping me down just to depend on Him. Because when I let that ball go out of my hands, I had no clue where the ball was going. Friend, let me tell you how God works. God puts you in a position to do one thing. The rest is up to Him. And if you are willing to be stripped down, to be humble, to say, God, I'll do whatever it is that you want me to do, however it is you want me to do it, however small and minuscule it might be, nobody cares about the long snapper as long as he does his job right. And nobody knows who Brian Kenshin is except God and Brian Kenshin and all of the New England Patriots. Why? Because he's the one that snapped that ball perfectly so that the kicker could kick it through the uprights. Friend, your name may not be on a plaque or a poster and it may not be on the tip of the tongue of every person in the church, but if God has called you to be a faithful servant, it takes all kinds. And just be the kind that God has called you to be. Not only does it take all kinds, but it also, secondly, I want you to see, it takes all kinds to fill all kinds of roles. Notice in verses 13 and 14. I love these two verses because it talks about the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it, set its doors, its bolts, its bars, and repaired it a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Then it talks about those that repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it, set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. In this verse of Scripture, verse 13, it mentions the valley gate. Do you know the significance of the valley gate? Everybody shake your head from side to side. Do you know the significance of the valley gate? I don't either. You know why? Because it doesn't have one. It was a gate that overlooked the valley. The valley of Henna, which was a reference to hell that Jesus made one time in the Gospels. Does it have a significance? Absolutely not. Then why did Nehemiah mention this valley gate, how far it had been, repaired 
Who rebuilt it and all the bars and the bolts and, the, and all of this stuff? Why give so much detail to the valley gate? Have you ever heard the phrase that you're only as strong as your weakest link? If the valley gate had not been repaired, it would have been the weakest spot in the city of Jerusalem and it would have been the first to be attacked. Did it have some fancy designation of why it was a gate? No. But I can guarantee you if a group of people coming in to destroy Jerusalem looked all around the city and they see this one gate destroyed, they'll say, that's where we're going in. Friend, it takes all kinds of people to fill all kinds of roles. Don't ever think that what God calls you to do is insignificant if God is the one who called you to do it. Nobody else may see the significance but you and God, but if God has called you to fill that role, even if your name's not on a plaque, even if nobody mentions you, even if your name's never in the bulletin or the preacher never even realizes what you did, if God knows what you did, that's all that matters. And he mentions the dung gate. Anybody know the significance of the dung gate? I bet you can imagine. It was a smelly job, but by golly, somebody had to do it. This dung gate was exactly what it sounds like. It's where all of the waste and the refuse would leave the city. And amazingly, where and how the wind blew through the city, it, it kind of created a channel so that the wind would blow out of the city through the dung gate and carry the smell and the stench out. Can you imagine if nobody, if, if every person in Jerusalem said, I'm not going to repair the dung gate. I don't care if the dung gate gets built. Let's just build a wall. Let's not build an actual gate there. Let's just bypass it and go on. It wouldn't take long before nobody lived in Jerusalem because nobody could stand the smell. I hate to be the one to break it to you. But God just might call you to rebuild the dung gate. God just might ask you to do the dirtiest, smelliest, nastiest job. That's true because some of y'all serve in the nursery and change diapers. Some of you have done some of the smelliest, dirtiest, nastiest, unfulfilling jobs. But you know and God knows that if that job was not done, that the entire body of Christ would suffer and the kingdom of God would slow down to a snail's pace. Friend, it takes all kinds to do all kinds of jobs, and not only should we have the willingness to do it, but we should also see the purpose for why God involves us in the kingdom in the first place. Not all jobs are prestigious. Not all jobs deserve and even get the recognition that sometimes the people doing them think they need. But I'm telling you, even the jobs behind the scenes that stink and smell, if you're willing to say, God, I'm doing this for your glory, then God will exalt you. Maybe not for eyes in here to see, but certainly He will glorify you because you sought to glorify Him. God will exalt you if you are willing to be humbled. The Bible teaches us that very fact. 
that takes all kinds. To do all kinds of jobs, thirdly and finally, for the glory of God. You notice beginning in verse 15, all the way through the end of the chapter, there continues to be name after name, gate after gate. Some of these is in verse 16. It says that the wall was repaired to the point opposite of the tombs of David as far as the, outer, uh, as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. You continue to see name after name after name of priests in verse 22. The men of the surrounding area, the priests and the men of the surrounding area is repaired. You continue to see name after name and project after project of people who have served the Lord. Why did Nehemiah put these names in here? I can almost guarantee you that if somebody got a hold of this list, there was at least one person that worked on the wall. There was at least one person that, were, that, that repaired some gate. There was at least one person who worked and served and sweated and their name did not get in Nehemiah chapter 3. And I bet Nehemiah heard all about it. Does that really matter for the glory of God? You see, if we do what God calls us to do, and nobody notices except Him, then that's all that matters. You may not ever be recognized for something that you do, for a prayer that you pray for some person, for a ministry that you serve in, for a, a taking a few moments to sit down next to somebody and ask them how they're doing and genuinely stop and hold their hand or at least socially distance, you know, pray for them and, and, and just really just get involved in somebody's life. Even if nobody sees or knows or recognizes you doing those things, it is for the glory of God. And sometimes it takes us realizing that even the good moments, even the bad moments, even those difficult moments that we've been, all of that molds and shapes our testimonies and puts us in a place, in a position at a certain time for a certain reason, and God says, now it's time for you to do this right here. And we only glorify God when our answer is, yes, Lord. There was a coach for Kentucky football several years ago who brought an assistant into his office, and he was going to teach this young man how to do some recruiting. And he wanted this recruiter, this assistant coach, to go and visit some of these high schools and some of these places where these kids were working out and really observe these kids. And so the coach said, he said, son, do you know the guys that get knocked down and get back up and get knocked down and stay down? The recruiter said, yes, sir, I do. And he said, those are not the guys we want at UK. The coach says, you know the guys that get knocked down and get back up and get knocked down and get back up and get knocked down and get back up and get knocked down and stay down? The coach says, we don't want those at UK. And finally, the coach looked at him and he said, do you know the kind of guys that get knocked down and get back up and get knocked down and get back up and no matter how many times you knock them down, they get back up? 
And the recruiter says, are those the guys we want at UK? The coach said, no, we want the guys that keep knocking those guys down. You watch him play this year and you'll agree with that. That's, those are the guys I want. The ones that will mow everybody over. And sometimes as a church, that's the kind of church we want to be. We want to do everything right. We want to get everything perfect. We want to be the one that just mows through Adair County and says, look, we're going to win all these souls. We're going to do all this stuff. And we're going to be all that we can be. And we're going to just... We're just going to own Adair County and the rest of the world and we're going to win everybody to Jesus. We're going to be the kind that just does it all. Sometimes we are the kind that get knocked down and get back up and get knocked down and get back up and it's okay to be that guy as long as we get back up. Because what God is looking for it's not to call Columbia Baptist Church to be the big dog on the block and knock everybody down and, and, and do everything right and be the one that has the, the biggest this, the best that, and the fanciest this, or you know, the most this, or, or whatever it is that we measure that we think is important. All God is looking for is a church that is willing to bring glory to Jesus. And if that means that part of our cycle is to get knocked down and get back up and get knocked down and get back up, friend, let's just get up for the glory of God. Because sometimes we'll get knocked down because we're excited about the glory for us. And when we get back up, we think, you know, I don't want to get knocked down for my glory. I want to get up for the glory of God. And there might be times that God allows us to get knocked down to remind us that it's not about us. You know the beauty about Nehemiah chapter 3? Nehemiah chapter 3 is not about Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 3 is not even about all of the gates. And the walls in Nehemiah chapter 3 is most certainly not about all the people that got mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3 is about the glory of God. Because God is the one who allowed Israel to get knocked down in the first place. Let me back up. God is the one who gave Israel this land in the first place. Then God was the one who knocked them down and let them get taken in captivity because of their sin. God was the one that allowed them to come back into the land when they got their heart right. And God is the one who freed up the resources in a Babylonian king to give Nehemiah the ability to rebuild the walls. This is a story about God. Columbia Baptist Church is not a story about me. It's not a story about you. It's not a story about walls and buildings. It is a story about God. And let us never remember that whatever it is that God calls us to, God will in fact see us through. And whatever job God gives to us, let's do it not for us. Let's do it for Him. Because you see, so many times we need to be reminded that we would not have life on this earth, nor would we have hope in the life to come if it were not for the glory of God shown through Jesus Christ, His Son. And some of you would not be sitting here today if you did not have confidence that if your life were to end today, that you would step out of this shell in this life and be forever in the presence of God because of what Jesus did for you.
And if there's any person here today who has not given your life to Jesus, knowing that Jesus gave His life for you first, knowing that if you were to trust Him and to turn from your sin and repent of that sin and to trust that when Jesus died on the cross, He died for you. He served you by laying down His life. and You must turn from your sin to be born again and trust in Him to have that new life that is yours in Christ. If you've never made that decision today, today is the day to turn from your sin, put your face to Jesus and trust in Him and in Him alone. Friend, if you have made that decision, what is God calling you to do for His glory, for the kingdom of God? How is God calling you to roll up your sleeves, to get involved, to serve, and to look for ways to bring glory to Him that has nothing to do with you, but has everything to do with Him? Maybe during our time of decision, As a believer in Christ, you can just let the Lord search your heart. And if there's nothing specific to fill in the blank today, maybe you just leave it blank and say, God, when you get ready to fill it in, when you get ready to give me the details, when you show me what I need to do and where I need to be and what I need to give and how I need to serve and how I can put myself last and put Jesus first, I'll just leave it blank until you are ready to fill it in. Let's bow our heads and ask God to help us as we respond to Him. Our Heavenly Father, how thankful we are to come to this place and to sing praises to You. To hear from Your Word even in such a strange text like Nehemiah chapter 3 that Lord, that just mentions all these people and all of these gates and all of these places on the wall. But Father, we know that the real story in Nehemiah chapter 3 is that they were doing these things for the glory that is Yours and Yours alone. Father, in these days and weeks and months and years to come, and however long You give us on this earth, And whatever it is that You call our church to be, whatever it is that You call our families to be, however, God, You call us as individual Christians to serve and to be willing to be a part of Your kingdom, God, may we have that openness and that humility to do it all for Jesus. God, if there is even one who's never given their life to Christ, I pray, Lord, that today would be the day that they would turn from their sin Trust in the Lord Jesus and be born again. God, we thank You for this opportunity to respond to Your Word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.